So welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. I'm your host, Roy Samuel. For those who don't know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, having founded multiple businesses, including one that I scaled and sold to a gaming company in 2018. I've been an angel investor for the last four or five years now. I'm super passionate about neurodiversity, suffering from severe ADHD and dyslexia myself. And on Big Risk Energy, we talk to an amazing range of people, from academics to actors, investors to entrepreneurs to VCs, musicians, politicians, scientists, and everyone in between. And we talk to these people about risk. Risks they've taken in their lives, risks they've taken in their careers, when those risks pay off and when they don't. And on today's episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only multi-talented Dan Boyer. Dan's worked in the entertainment industry, he's a serial entrepreneur, having found and sold multiple businesses, and most recently co-founder and partner of Superseed, which is a UK-based VC. Dan, thank you so much for joining. Lovely to be here. Dan, there's basically no one in the world I'd rather speak to about risk more than you, <laughs> because I find your backstory fascinating. You know, you entertainment, then becoming an entrepreneur, now pretty much doing the most risky thing that you can do with money, which is investing into early stage businesses. Where does your relationship with risk come from? You know, how, how do you feel about risk? I was broken as a child. So I think everyone's got a story, haven't they? And my story was broken white trash from South London, single mum, drink and drug addict, dodging the knives and guns to get to school. So it was, actually I'm making it sound a lot more, a lot more um, uh, dodgy than it was, but it was pretty dodgy. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was in the arsehole of Croydon, so yeah. I, don't know if you, I don't know if you know South London at all. Anyway. So, um, I, I was part of the gentrification of Brixton. Where are you, so, darling? So the you other, yeah, the other Just slightly further north. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I've, never, I've never not known some form of kind of edge, either trying to, for example, get to school without being stabbed or, or, or some form of being a little bit earlier than I should have been as a child in circumstances that I probably shouldn't have been in. So I started earning my own money from 12, um, I, I used to build paintball guns for a paintball site called Skirmish. I don't know if you, yeah, paintball's what they call yeah. it. Well, actually, paintball's having a resurgence now, but it, it went through a very not cool phase. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, it was a super cool thing. So this is like, this is early 80s, early, early to mid 80s. So I started at 12, I was earning five pounds a day and I was building and fixing paintball guns for this, for this paintball site. And then from then I just, I, I, I was not very academic. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure I'm on all kinds of mental health spectra. If I, if I was ever, I don't really want to go because they'll just say they'll, t they'll tick all the boxes and lock me away. So uh, I've never not known anything that's just a little bit weird or edgy. And then very, when I was uh, at school, I started modeling. So a friend of mine that I was working with at the paintball site said, um, do you want to do some modeling? It was when young boys were quite trendy. And then I think five years later, it was very older guys. But then it was young, young men were very trendy and they were all over magazines and stuff. So, and I said, I don't think so. I don't think it's really for me. And I dated a girl whose sister's best friend was a super famous Vogue photographer. Okay. So I was 16, I was dating this girl and her sister, and they used to knock around with like uber cool North London people. Yeah. And then she took me for an audition at Models One and it was Davina McCall was my agent. No Davina way. McCall. Yeah. Of course. Before she was famous and she was 24 or something and I was, wow. but I was 16 at this point. And then I got into modeling and that's a crazy world. Mm. And I was doing that in and out of school holidays and after school. And I was earning more money then you know, odds and sods mm. than people that had left school at 16 and were working full time. 
I was in, in those days, I was only at five, six grand a day. So it was like, wow. so I had more money than I knew what to do with at 16, 17. And I, but from that point forward, there was all this kind of, I can never go and work in a bank. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a regular. I didn't know this, I didn't think this, but looking back, everything was super odd. And just to jump in, because I, I'm really fascinated by this. So with where you came from originally, and then making that sort of money, that's obviously a huge contrast to your life growing up. How did you handle that at that age? Well, you're a young man, so you, you want to be the big man on campus and you want to be seen to be having the coolest clothes and doing the coolest things. I've never been cool. I've always wanted to be cool. I knew some very cool... Um, in fact, I walked past somebody's flat in Covent Garden, <clears throat> who's obviously his parents owned it. He was 17, sorry. But I thought he was the coolest dude in the world. He was living in this amazing penthouse just off Neil's yard. I thought, oh, he's the coolest dude. I've always wanted to be cool. Never really been cool. But um, you just, yeah, so you kind of get thrown into these weird and wonderful situations and and you end up here talking with you about venture capital and random shit. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's a really, really interesting transition. Now, the something which we've discussed before is in order to make it as a founder, the sacrifice, there's, you know, just all the odds stacked against you. It's one in 1,000 who make it to Unicorn, maybe one in 10,000. I don't know the stats around it, but it's similar stats within the entertainment industry as yeah. well. And you also need to be all in to have any chance of getting that far. So how did that inform your relationship as yourself, as an entrepreneur, as an investor? How, how do you see it all fixing in with each other? Well, not being academic and being completely unemployable and being on all kinds of like fizzy mental spectra, you kind of have no choice but to become an entrepreneur. And I've always kind of figured that, I mean, most of the people that I love and respect and want to spend time with, all very entrepreneurial and all still don't know what they want to do when they grow up and they're kicking 50s and 60s. And they're, they're, everyone's just a little bit odd because mm. you need, you, you kind of need two sets of people in this world. You need people that are going to do the thing and then you need people that are going to invent the new thing. <laughs> so I think, I don't think that that many entrepreneurs that I know actually chose, I never chose to start businesses, mm -hmm. I kind of had no choice. Mm -hmm. So I, it was never a con, I'd like it to be much more of a conscious choice for young people coming through the education system, entrepreneurship being taught, mm -hmm. business being taught, politics, money, all the things that you never learn in school that you should really learn, and entrepreneurship and founding business, and how, how that whole mechanism works should definitely be part of the curriculum. Mm. But I never had a choice, it was never, it was never a conscious thing, oh, I'm gonna go and set up a mm -hmm. business. I, I don't know how it was for you, but did you, did you, is that what you always wanted to do, or did you, or did it So my, my dad was an entrepreneur, and we were, we were broke. Um, so you saw it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's an interesting one, though. I felt I had nothing to lose as well. Yes. You know, there was no, oh, I can go I'm into saying. dad's business, I can go yeah, work yeah, yeah, in the yeah. bank, you know. Yeah. There was, in many ways, it's easier when you have no opportunity cost yes. in that way. If you're in a rich family, then yeah. you'll just go and work in the family. And you might, you might dabble over there every now and then, but actually you kind of got your, exactly. your future mapped out. So yeah. it's a really yeah. interesting one because I, I see this as well, two trends in entrepreneurs, although there are many and I'm being simplistic here. One is people who are, you know, there's nothing else they can do, right? Mm. If they don't make their own money, it's just not gonna happen. They can't work for someone else. And there's those who maybe spend six, seven years in banking, they find uh, an opportunity to iterate on an algorithm. They, you know, they are more conventional in the way that they've yeah. found a problem to solve. Coming from your background, does that ever, not cloud your judgment, but does that ever come into the 
process of, of deciding where you're going to invest either on your own behalf with the with in the people you mean yeah in the people. i think the, the the other thing that i think is really worth um clarifying is that there are entrepreneurs and there are business managers possibly the wrong terminology but there are those that are looking for a new way they're going to you know look at a studio like this and then come up with a new format like a studio subscription mm -hmm. whatever it might be and there are people that just want to sign right a van and go and sell studio services but mm -hmm. That's not, to me, that's not entrepreneurship. That's running your own business. It's still needed, it's a wonderful thing, but that's not entrepreneurship. Founding a business, to me, in the truest entrepreneur sense, is, is trying to take something that's a little bit shit and make it better, incrementally, or, or you know, chasmically. I mean, if you look at all of the big tech firms, none of them built their business on, on doing the same thing. They, they all took, you know, whatever, Apple took Xerox's products and then added a layer mm. and took this open source code and created this new OS mm. or, I mean, Microsoft basically built through acquisition, which is, I think is a bit shit and a bit dry. So take them out of the picture for a minute. But most, the entrepreneurs that I want to back are the ones that are either in something or know something and they're like, this is just wrong. We've got to do this in a new way. And that to me is entrepreneurship, not, not the business management or sign writing the van and going and saying, even though it's a business and it's yours and it belongs mm. to you, that's not being an entrepreneur. That's really interesting. And I guess I see that reflected in the thesis of Superseed, which is that business automation piece. How do you help yeah. people improve on what they're already doing? Which is interesting because, again, that doesn't strike me as you backing the type of entrepreneurs who maybe have come from a similar background because in order to see those iterative changes, you need to be in it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the reason that I do what I do on a personal level is because to me, there's, there's layers of impact. There's layers of making the world a better place for your kids. And I've got two very small kids, one and a four-year-old now. So, and that transformed my life, like coming from being a, a, a Tinder boy, bachelor, twat, and then getting married. Like, oh my, I never thought I would do it. I did it at 46. I started very, very late. Wow. Yeah, I, I played the field, lots, I mean, traveled the world, complete idiot. Loved every second of it. But, um, I was going to say, you make it sound bad. I there, loved yeah. every <laughs> dirty second of it. But um, never thought I'd get married, never thought I'd have children, never thought that was for me. I just didn't think it was yeah. possible. And I'm, di I'm digressing. What, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Bring, bring me back. So we were talking about the, <laughs> the types of... A rabbit hole over there. No, the, 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 le the levels of... Um, the type of people, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there was different levels to the, the work that you do. And yeah, so, and so, so I do what I do because... The way that I can have it, and I've only ever known, built, or invested in B2B mm -hmm. business software. It's all I've ever known and done mm -hmm. for 22, three years. So, um, when you, when, I think when you, I'm obviously doing what I know, because if I went and decided to do B2C, or I wouldn't have any, any basis of understanding. But, the, but my thesis is based around the fact that if you can, like these, this pair of jeans might cost, I don't know, whatever, 50 quid, and it will take 400 liters of water, it will take this much cloth, and it will take this many resources. So to me, how I can create impact with my history is enabling this pair of jeans to only take 20 liters of mm. water. One person, not five. This size of office, mm. that much denim. And if you can, I'm, I'm using a shit analogy, but if you can create efficiency in the back office yeah. of these really difficult repetitive task businesses, yeah. that to me is impact. Yeah. Yes, you want to save all the babies. Yes, you want to solve climate change. Yes, you want to sort food, water, whatever it might be. But unless you can make the thing that we do, all we're doing all day is consuming stuff. Mm. Coffees, water glasses, cameras, mm. hoodies. 
unless we can get behind the stuff that we need to do on a daily basis, unless we can really transform that, mm. we can't keep any of the other promises to anything. That's really, really interesting. And so that's why. And I mean, and arguably the most effective way of making change is altering the mode of operation of the incumbents, right? It, it can only really be done through business. You can look yeah. at, obviously, regulation plays a massive hand. Again, I'm rabbit holing a bit. So government love or hate them, they're mostly useless. And, but mostly that's our fault for the system. We, we, have, we have a part to play in this, yeah. And the, and, the, and the electoral system that we have and that we allow. That side, we still need a form of regulation because we're greedy and stupid humans, mm. aren't we? We're a, bit, we're a bit nasty when we're up against it. And look at my industry, venture is a classic mm. asshole move most of the time, like three minute grocery dinner reason. Faster e-scooters, who gives a fuck? <laughs> I, don't, if you, I hope you haven't invested in any of those, sorry. <laughs> Not my but, bag. But um, uh, I understand the greed part, where if you can see this happening in crypto or e-scooters yeah. or faster, I can understand you want to FOMO that FOMO, up. And yeah. If I've just invested $10, I know that some mug is going to come in at 50. I hate that. Mm. I think that's rude. Um, so yeah, you kind of get stuck where you're you're stuck and you, you do what you do. But I think it's, I bet with you, it's not just like a, a snap decision. It's, it's, it's like lots of little paths in the road that, yeah. get, that get you to where you are and, and who you are and what you do. Yeah, of course. And the stage at which I invest in a company, you know, there's nothing to go by in terms of due diligence other than do I like this person? Yeah. Do I want to talk to them again? Do I trust them? Yeah. You know, beyond that, there's very Well, you've got to believe in the do. thing. You've got to believe that thing's going to change a thing, don't you? You've got to look and go, I believe you can do that. And yeah. I believe that they want that. Or for me, it's actually more, I believe this person can do something within or around that. Yeah. Because very, because I'm, I'm an SEAS, EAS investor at the yes. earliest stage, right? Yes. Very, uh, very rarely is the initial deck I see the end output. No, of course, right? never, so is. It's, never But is. It's, that's yeah. why it's the, you know, it's the founder problem people. fit, right? Yeah, yeah, the founder yeah. problem fit. Does that person care about this space? Are they going to see it through to yep. whatever it might be? Yeah, because it's hard. Yeah, exactly. It's painful. I mean, I, I remember my first business, we sat, sat there with my business partner. It was an IT services business, and we sat there, and we painted the office, we bought all the computers, we'd hired the space, we got all the desks, and then we sat there, and what the fuck <clears> do we do now? <laughs> and then the sheer fear of, how are we going to pay the bills? I mean, mm -hmm. I had some money, but then how are we going to get new clients? And, how are we, and th th then learning how to spin those 20 mm. plates. Um, is, and, then, and then being punched in the face constantly, mm -hmm. thinking the, the precept being that you're your own boss, you can work your own hours, you can do your own thing, you're the master of your own destiny. Mm -hmm. And all of that is a flat lie. Mm -hmm. You've got more bosses than you ever thought you had. And Absolutely. More responsibilities than you could ever wish for. Yeah. But I mean, it's a baptism of fire. And I think everyone should go through it. Yeah, totally. totally. I also think it's a really great way, and I say this to friends of mine who have got younger siblings who are coming out of university, Start your own thing for a year where you have to do a bit of everything. Go and sell first. Go and sell somebody else's shit first. Go and sell something that you hate. Mm, Start there. Find the, find the least pleasant sales job that you can. I was going to say in the press, never in the paper, online, <laughs> on whatever it is these days. And go and work there. Do six months yeah. of selling double glazing. Yeah. That will set you up for life. So this is getting to something we were just discussing before, which is sales. And... You haven't been in the entertainment industry. I did stand up for 18 months. It's something I'm so passionate about. And the feeling you have when you're pitching a room of VCs and they're eating out your palm is the same feeling you get when mm -hmm. you're crushing whilst doing a set. And when you bomb in front of a VC, it's a very similar feeling to bombing at the comedy store, wherever, whatever yeah. it is. So how much does narrative, showmanship, 
versus the numbers coming to us. Where, where do you see the balance? In early stage, mm. I'm sure I don't need to share this with you, you'll know this in spades. In early stage, the only thing you have is narrative. The only thing you have is your ability to sell to your team, to your potential clients, to your existing clients, to your bankers, to your investors. The only thing you have is your ability to stand up and go, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going, it's gonna be awesome, who's on, who's on the Roy truck? Mm -hmm. And that's it, that's all you have. And then you start to build the data and then you start to build the spreadsheet side, but that takes many, many years. I've always, every business I've ever started, it's always taken me, in the third year, it's when the penny started to drop. Mm. The sales function has started to, to, to click, the repeatable piece. The who we hire and how we hire started to drop. The client, the ICP. But it, it, for me, and I'm possibly an incredibly slow learner, it's always taken that into that third year mm. when it goes, bloop, bloop, bloop. I go, oh, mm. that's how this shit works in this industry. It's always taken that long. But I think it's... Um, I mean, it's a really good point because I think a lot of early stage, first time founders, you talk to them about exit, it's, mm. you know, three to five years, five to seven years. It, it's never that. Right? No. It's very, very rarely that. And I think that people are putting pressure on themselves to have that figured out, have that data piece figured out within year one, where I just think you're chasing up the wrong tree totally, because no, it does take that time to click. And realistically, the time horizon for an exit is normally 10 years. Don't even think about it. Yeah. I mean, you might, you might, some investors might push you to think like that mm. because that gives you the contextual lens and I kind of buy that. Mm -hmm. If you have that contextual lens which is, I mean the first thing you have to ask yourself is do you want a lifestyle business or mm -hmm. do you want a scale business? And, and founders often get confused between growth and scale. Mm -hmm. So if you want a lifestyle business it kind of puts you back in that business manager part, the, mm -hmm. the sign writing and driving the van around, but that's absolutely fine. I spoke to a chap yesterday who's got a wonderful business effectively joining the dots for car dealerships between buying a car and car delivery. Mm -hmm. But I said, I think this is actually, a, don't raise from me or any, I don't think this is venture backable. Yep. Don't raise from anybody. You can build this up. You can maybe get some debt in while mm -hmm. money's still a little bit cheap. And not too much, but just enough to keep your bum squeaking, mm -hmm. but give you enough to pay the bills. And then just build a really tidy lifestyle business out of this, a couple, two, three, four, five mil, and then just sell. Mm. Somebody will buy this. Mm. You know, Pendies or one of the one of the networks will buy this. So do that. Um, so I think it depends a on what you want. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that as well. well I'm I, rabbit holing all, all over the show. Well, you're, but you get to an interesting point. And one of the things that I always love about your content on LinkedIn is trying to demystify a lot of VC. Yeah. And you talk about this isn't venture backable. Yeah. Now this is something I talk to young entrepreneurs about the whole time, where they're talking about. 25% market penetration, taking them to 100K ARR, and I'm like, great, you know, you might have something you can bootstrap and something yeah. which you could put through a micro acquisition, something like that, but, mm. you know, it's not venture backable. So when you started demystifying VC, did you see risk in that with the way that your LPs yeah. would see you, other yeah, VCs yeah, yeah. would see you? It's, it's a big thing. As soon as you are open, because venture is all about secrets. Yeah. So as soon as you're open, which I've actively chosen to do, um, a, people judge you, mm. and you get judged for doing podcasts, right? I mean, I want to be out there and sharing things, and people might think I'm an asshole or a dickhead, and that's fine. I, I try not to be, but um, I, I can't always say that I'm not. Um, but I think the, so I made a conscious choice, much to sometimes my business partner's <laughs> irritation, because he's not, he's the opposite of me, which yeah. is why we work so well together, to share, to explain explain having spent 20 plus years on that side of the desk and this side for four 
I had my eyes opened by what I thought venture was and what it actually is. Mm. So I'm on a mission, sounds cheeseball, but just to every, like the shitty conversations I had this morning that I was sharing, mm -hmm. and two really difficult conversations. One about putting a term sheet, which I've done a very small handful of times. It's horrific. Mm. When you've worked with a family team, you have to pull a term sheet. It's the most, it's, it's just it's the worst part of the job. Oh my God, my heart's part of the reason that I'm rabbit holing and, and I can't focus is because my heart is still racing that I feel it's just awful. And then with a chap that I've been working with for a long time and I basically told him he wasn't doing a good enough job and he unleashed on me. So, but I'm going to share those stories because mm -hmm. I think it's really important to share all of the backstory of how venture is built, how founders should either raise or not raise if they're not venture backable, how they should think about that, the processes that go on behind the scenes, the egomania that goes mm. on behind the scenes. So I think that I think our world, the startup ecosystem world, will be better because of it. Okay. That's the intent. How that comes across doesn't always work and doesn't always land. Fine, you practice and you practice podcasts and writing mm -hmm. and narrating and we get better over mm -hmm. time. You're not going to wake up and be Ernest Hemingway, right? You're going to, it's going to take some time. Um, but it's true. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the companies that I see, I say to them, don't don't mm. take money from me. Don't do not raise. Yeah. Do not take money from me and do not raise. But then I'll say, but th consider this instead, and we'll put a structure together that might be a little bit of debt or this yeah. angel or this structure or this yeah. accelerator, and think about it in this way. I'm not always right, but venture is certainly not right for everybody. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I get most excited for an entrepreneur when they've got something and they don't need to raise for yes. it. I'm like, I wish yes. I was doing what you're doing right yes. now because you can bootstrap this, you can probably take this to a couple million ARR and walk home in a great situation yeah. yourself without having to sell your soul yep. and all that. I mean, sometimes that's, those are the, the best businesses. And I think there's becoming a, a new appreciation of that again I with so. the, the you know, bigger importance on, on better fundamentals and unit economics interesting potential exit routes like microacquire and other you know platforms coming out that way and i think that's a really really exciting and time and loads of different ways to get money yeah and there's loads of new vehicles coming through like valban creating these little um spvs yeah. and these little vehicles so anybody can be a fund mm -hmm. manager anybody mm -hmm. can syndicate around for stuff the debt vehicles that are coming in on the um like the pipes and the yeah What's Jamie's outfit called? But anyway, the way that you can basically, if you've got like 20, 30, 40, yep. great. So then you can start to get some performance-based debt. Mm -hmm. um, the secondaries market that's mm -hmm. opening up. So if you are stuck in a business and you want to go and buy that house, you yeah. might want to sell a couple of percent just mm -hmm. to get a couple of hundred grand to go and buy the house for the family. So the whole, that whole finance piece around mm -hmm. our ecosystem is opening and bolstering. And more will happen now as the world takes a shit. Mm -hmm. And inflation does this and interest rates do, does that. So there's going to be more of these vehicles mm -hmm. coming through, like you say, with a focus on the fundamentals. Mm. At any point, can this be a profitable business? Totally. If it can't be, and it is just growth at all costs, then... Yeah. And when you do have these non-dilutive funding options, which are based on better principles, the pipes, Stripe Capital, whatever it might yeah. be, that path to growth is much more feasible than the flavor that we had if it was Q-Commerce, whatever it might be, yeah. a couple of years ago. So I think it's really, really great. But... Yeah. One thing which you know I, I personally worry about within the European VC market is obviously LPs who are not used to what's going on right now and seeing venture as the asset class that never fails to return. Yeah. Do you, although there's a lot of dry powder still out there, do you fear for the next fund cycles? Yeah, the totally. Next? You know, you're spot on. So, but there's a lot of money out there now. I hate the term mm. dry powder. Makes me itch. You know, like if somebody uses a phrase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Like a fucking. We'll pirate. circle back to it later, don't we? <sighs> yeah. Anyway, so. Um, uh, 
I think there's a lot of money baked into the system. The, what we're seeing as a seed investor, so I only do a little bit of pre and then whatever pre and seed mean, mm -hmm. but product, product, live product to product market fit is the space that I work in. Um, the later stage guys that we then hand over to, mm -hmm. to, to, they're expecting bigger numbers, they're investing a little bit more and it's taking a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So the 1 million ARR, you're now Series A, mm -hmm. go and raise, is now 2 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The time to close that round from like three months is now nearer six months. Mm -hmm. It won't last long because like with the COVID shock and everyone sat on their hands, mm -hmm. went, what do we do now? That only lasted a couple of months. We go, oh, this is the new world and off we go. So this, the shock that we're going through now, I think will be a bit more protracted. It won't be a mega shock. You it don't think be, so? No, because there's so much money out there. We have to invest. Mm. If we don't do deals, mm. we, and there's so many deals around to be done, and all of the tourist cash has disappeared. So mm. all of the mid-stage growth stuff is all, you know, hidden, you know yeah, gone yeah. back behind the, behind the bushes. Mm -hmm. So as a, there's a lot more um, funds coming slightly earlier. There are more niche funds coming in, which is great. So if you want to do wind turbines in Norway funded with this, there's a fund that will do that. There's saving all the brown babies. Mm -hmm. There's fixing climate change. There's all mm -hmm. these. There's, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And with all these other vehicles that aren't necessarily fund-based, yeah. but other, other kinds of um, finance vehicles. That's, 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 that's a great thing. It's a great thing. Really interesting view. One thing I want to go back to sure. in terms of, of risk and LPs rather than just in the, the VC community, you're uh, outspoken on LinkedIn. You mm -hmm. know, you're not afraid to say what you're thinking. Ever worried about the risk that has with LPs? Yeah, or, but, you, and, ha and have you seen that impact at all? I don't know, is the mm. short answer. Yeah, I, I'm being judged. Mm. Um, it's an active choice. Um, I believe in standing for something, mm -hmm. otherwise you stand for nothing. And I'm hopefully turning on as many people as I'm turning off. Yeah. Well, I'd like to be doing more of this, but yeah. I know that there are, I know that there are uh, LPs that will not like me or my style. They will love my business partner who's the complete opposite to me, which is why we work so well and why You know who so to wheel out depending on the... So yeah, so if it's more of a heart thing, I get wheeled out. If it's more of a cerebral head data conversation, yeah. Mads gets wheeled out. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite that binary, but yeah. Sure. I think everyone buys with their heart, but you need the head to back it up. So Absolutely. we kind of go, do I like this? Do I like this room? Do I like this house? Do I want to buy this car? Do I want to invest in this founder? That's a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. That's a heart and gut, right? But you need the data then go, is there a market? Well, that's justification, right? It's, yeah, it is. That's I mean, how it, it I mean. That's how I it see it. It's like I like this person. I want to believe in this person. Just mm. tell me the numbers make sense. I can justify it to myself. Yes. You know. I mean. I, I, but I'm a very emotional person. That's not necessarily. I think most angels are. I, yeah. I, 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 I am as a VC, and that doesn't always serve me well. In fact, it doesn't serve me well at all. <laughs> but I, I can't. I mean, I'm 50 years old. I can't change that. Yeah. But the risk piece. I, I do know that. Um, I sometimes piss people off. Mm -hmm. And I am being judged for the for the opinions that I have because it, our industry, like I was saying, is all about secrets. It's all about you know that proprietary deal flow, yeah. understanding this in a, in a very secretive, and that's not about sharing. And I want to share those things, mm -hmm. um, but like I say, I, I, the world it, it, there's what I want, and my fund will still be successful. And we have to show a new way. We can't just do these. We can't venture capital cannot behave like it's mm. behaved the last 12 years mm. it can't be I won't I won't have it I can't mm. be part of that and I think we're seeing a really positive impact of the proliferation of information things that yes. you're doing on LinkedIn on TikTok yep. I think is absolutely changing the world for young entrepreneurs the amount yep. of Gen Z founders we speak to who are 
it's just starting to become more okay with the terminology, understanding power or whatever it might be, understanding things which are allowing them to have more meaningful conversations yeah. and, and get involved, which can only be a positive thing. No, absolutely. And it just naturally kind of rises the tide for everyone yeah. to understand what entrepreneurship is and what founding is and what raising money is and what building a business because you kind of get exposed mm. to so much. I don't remember when I was a kid anybody talking about being an entrepreneur or yeah. starting a business. It was all, where are you going to work? And I, my careers advisory printout from the computer at school said I would be an architect or a... Um, uh, a prison guard. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how I got to those two. So I then went, I did my work experience at Ove Arabs, which is like a big um, kind of, I've forgotten what they're called. You know the, the, the companies that make roads and bridges oh, okay, and right. whatever yeah, they are. Yeah, uh, yeah I thought, I'm not going to spend another seven years <laughs> at school. There's too many girls and too much beer out there. Like, What's all this about? Well, there you go. Right, so Dan, I've got four questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Okay. Um, not quick fire, you know, we, we can just go through these. Biggest risk you've taken in your career or life and what was the outcome? I've never not taken risks. So I see that question the other way around. It's only since finding the most incredible woman to marry who can deal with my shit and having the two most in wonderful creatures come into my life, my kids. So it's only now that I see the world the other way around, mm. which is I stopped riding motorbikes to take that risk out of my life. Mm. I've stopped doing the other risky behavior. I quit booze um, and all the other substances. So I've, um, I've, always, I've only ever taken every opportunity and always said yes to everything that's ever come my way mm. because I don't give a shit. And now I've got things to lose. And I, when I got past 40, I've, it was almost a revelation. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, I thought I'd be dead by now. I'm going to be here for a bit. Oh, I better pay attention. I better eat the right food. I'd better stop. I better hunker down and be mm. a bit more serious. So um, I don't see risk in the same way I think than what you mean or how other people perceive it. So I've always taken risks. I've never cared about the outcome. I'm about the experience. Mm. Most of the things that I've done have failed. I'm a I'm I'm a lucky idiot. Mm -hmm. So I've done. I've I've been on stage to hundreds of thousands of people. I've been almost famous, I've been extremely wealthy, I've been in massive amounts of debt, and I don't really care. I just care about the experience of trying. I've lived on four continents, just, mm -hmm. you know, flown first class around the world. I, I, you know, I get as much pleasure buying, I've had all the Ferraris in the, I love cars. I get as much pleasure buying a 500 pound shit box mm -hmm. as I do, or as I did, the, buying the Ferrari yeah. or the Porsche or the TVR or whatever. It, so I just like the experience. I'm sorry yeah. I'm waffling. No, no, no. That's a really, really amazing answer. And, you know, it's so funny because everyone we've had, this is the, I think, third or fourth episode we've done. Everyone has such different yes. perspectives on this. That's the point uh, of the podcast, right? Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if we all said the same I'm thing. I'm not trying to get to a conclusive answer, yeah. Um, but it's really interesting to hear you talk about experience because I think, you know, that, that, that ultimately defines so much. And for so many people, when they are, getting into that journey. It is for the experiences along the way. Very yeah. few people I've met who are successful are money-oriented. It might come, it might go. But what's your definition of success? Well, actually, that's one of the questions I'm gonna ask you. So we'll come back to that one in a minute. Well, well, let's go to that one. What does it take to be successful? It depends. I think the challenge we have is that a lot of people I work with now who are half my age or younger think that success is financially driven mm -hmm. and so financially focused. And I, I can tell them now and I can say to their face, I've been 
exceptionally wealthy. I'm not independently wealthy, but on the, on the, mm -hmm. on the trajectory. Mm -hmm. And I've lost it all, twice. Um, and I can tell you now that I was as miserable and as depressed and as troubled when I had millions in the bank as I was when I had minus hundreds of thousands in the bank and you know bailiffs knocking at my door. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mi that, actually that's true misery. When you're in that, when you're in serious debt and you, you like I've got heart palpitations now about mm -hmm. the conversation I had this morning. When you have that based on debt, that's something that is Friends. depressive and it drags you. And that really really pulls you down. When when Real Sport, my last company, was acquired, I had Wonga loans. I had Quit Quit Quid, I had Amigos, I was yeah, it was the swing oh, on that time of potential successful acquisition versus payday loan. And you companies. have to put the shiny uh, yeah. the amount of times I have to put the oh, shiny yeah. face on. Everything's fine, nothing to see here, and you've got yeah. like fifteen people who can't pay their mortgages because of you. Yeah. And the whole thing you just uh, but then mm. that's that's the risk piece. Mm. Um but success, what, I mean, the only thing that's, that's, the measure of success for me is waking up every morning, which is when, you're, when your brain is in its purest form. Mm -hmm. The bullshit engine hasn't kicked in yet. Mm -hmm. You haven't styled stuff out about the debt or the relationship or the job. You've, you know, you're, and that, when you're in your purest form, first moment you wake up, if you can feel a sense of peace and gratitude at that moment in the day, that is my measure of success, and that's it. Interesting. And is it's that probably not the answer you want? No, no, no. It's a really. It's good millions and successful <laughs> businesses in a VC fund. No, it's not. It really fucking isn't. I always say to founders, if you're getting into this to be a billionaire, do something else. Yeah, yeah go and do property. I wish you I go and do exactly. I yeah. I started property developing in the mid '90s. I made a shit ton of money by pure accident. Mm. I got out in 2002, thinking that I was the master of the universe and that I'd conquered the world. And the market just went, doot, 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 doot. Um, yeah. So uh, if you want to get rich, get into property. Yeah. Actually, mate, mm, it's now, not the asset class well, it used to be, but no. still, it's bricks well. and water, and there's, you know, there's. Yeah, there's I, I wouldn't want to rent that. anymore. Renting is, and now that it's just that's that's a misery. Anyway. Yes. Anyway. anyway. So I've got two more questions for you. One is, what's the thing that you're proudest of? Just my kids. Just love them. My wife is just an incredible person my family life, my kids. It's a dull shit answer, but I don't care about anything else. It's a great answer then. I don't, I genuinely, I mean, I want my fun to be incredibly successful. I love the people that I work with. I think we're doing interesting things. Um, am I proud of that? I, to a yes, yes. What I've achieved, what I've done, or the experience, I'm proud, I'm kind of, am I proud? No, not really. Those are my kids, they just, they're the, they're, I would live and die for them. Kill and die every, every day of the week. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's, um, it's an amazing answer and something I always think about when, you know, I, I don't have kids right yeah. now. I've been Do with it. my partner for four years. Do it. Yeah, not yet though. Because, Why? Of what, because of what you just said. Because there's no right time. There's never a right time, but there's probably more ideal timing than less ideal timing. The thing is, every once time. you have the kids, as you just said, kill or die right i know yeah. that i know that if, as soon as i have kids like that's me that's everything i don't feel like i'm i don't I, you know i'm still founder i'm still you know managing for, hiring 60 people or everything else i'm still on that part of the journey okay so for me it's you know the there will right... never be a right time just for the record just to put on the table <laughs> there you will never okay. feel like there's a right time okay. and men generally don't mm -hmm. women generally have a biological clock that says listen 
come on, mm -hmm. right, we need to get a go on. Mm -hmm. um, but there isn't a, there's no, mm. there's no right time. Yeah. Just get on with it. Yeah. Well, my girlfriend's 26. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> enjoy it. Enjoy that. <laughs> and then last question is, it, there might not be, but is there anything that sticks out to you, which, you know what, that decision or that, I would have done that differently. Any, any words yeah, of wisdom, things you've done differently? There's two things. And they, everyone says, never have any regrets. Um, I was kids TV presenting in my early 20s. So I was in a band for four years, randomly got into a band and I've got no musical talent whatsoever. And it was relatively successful and really successful in Europe and in the Far East. But wow. I mean, in the UK, I think we had five top 40 singles in one top 20 album, something like that. So That's cool. Not like known, rel yeah, but yeah, relatively yeah. successful and made some money from it, which I then had to give back. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed kids TV presenting and I kind of let it pass me by. I wasn't good at it, mm -hmm. but I was getting good at it. I've been doing it a year, 18 months. And then this trend for kind of cool, funky, ginger comedians came in. And I was the Philip Schofield boy next door. Hello, I'm Dan. And da, da, da. So I wasn't cool or trendy. And I wasn't good at it. So I, I, didn't, I couldn't get away with it or, or force it through because I was good at the skill. It's a real skill. Talking to an inanimate object, mm. like it's a human being when you watch like a newscaster mm. or something, is a real skill. It takes, yeah. it takes time. When you watch a new TV presenter, they look... They look awkward and you can see them knock, they blink slowly. It's a real skill to be able to do that with somebody who's talking in your ear and do it well. I nearly got good at it and I let it go. So no, no regrets, but if I could go back in time, I wish I'd been, I wish I'd spent more time on the craft and explored that further because I think that would have been really interesting. Um, that said, I hated being in the public eye. I hated mm. being Z, Z grade celebrity famous. It's miserable when you don't have the money to buy your own reclusivity and there are people camping outside your mum's house and everyone in the street has, a, has an opinion on me. Mm. And I was dating somebody who was quite famous at the time. And um, so everyone had an opinion on our relationship. Everyone had an opinion on me. It's wow. like, you don't even fucking know me. And that's what celebrities get. They've played a character on TV or in a movie and you think that they're, they're of a certain mm. type or ilk. And that's the other thing, never meet your heroes. I met most of mine and most of them are dickheads. But anyway, so yeah, so I would have liked to have paid more attention, I think, to that. And the other thing, which might be more relevant to, to founders in the startup ecosystem is, because I'm all about experiences, mm -hmm. I wish in my younger days, I'd also focused on outcome. So the problem that you have with being focused on experience, as I've experienced, no pun intended, is that you, you, um, because I've never really cared whether it's created wealth or success. I, I've just gone, and sometimes it has and sometimes it hasn't. Um, had I been a little bit more outcome driven, I would have been, I would have been able to do things smarter and build, build bigger businesses mm. and been smarter about it. Because I don't, I don't care about businesses when you just put more coins in the top and more coins fall out the bottom. I lose interest. So as soon as a startup becomes operational, mm -hmm. I kind of go, I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Which is great, because I'm C to A, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And that's my world. Sweet spot. That's, that's what I do. But I'd like to have, in my mid-early 20s, just paid a little bit more attention to outcome and money and legal and structure, just so that I balance that with this go-fuck-it experiential. But that has you know, taken me around the world, and I've done some amazing things, because I've lived like that. But I think I could have potentially balanced it a bit better. That's great. I'm going to add one last question. We normally just do four, but 
I don't know why this conversation got me thinking about a fifth, which I'm going to start asking everyone from here on out. Do it. If you could say one thing to yourself as a 16-year-old right now, could be anything, could be that week's you know, lottery number, whatever it is, whatever it is, <laughs> what, what would you tell 16-year-old Dan? Oh, I, think it's, I think it's slightly cheeseball, but just believe in yourself. But really genuinely believe in yourself. And it's, it's that old phrase, feel the fear and do it, which I live by, because I live in a constant state of fear and anxiety. And I've always done things and I've always felt, you know, the heart palpitations about bad conversation, whatever it might be. So I'm, on one hand, I'm kind of good at this, but I wish I just believed in myself from a younger age. Just, just go for it, just believe in yourself because nobody has the answer. Everyone's a dickhead. Everyone judges. Everyone has opinions. It doesn't matter. It fucking doesn't matter. Just get up off the sofa and go and try the thing. Poke the bear. Learn the craft. Do the thing. And just believe. And just with a smile. Just do it constantly with a smile. And just keep rolling through. If you fail, you pick yourself up and you walk about. I, li- I lived in so much fear. It looks like I did all these wild and wonderful things, which I did. Mm. Um, but I could have done more. I could have had more experiences. And I think if you just, I mean, if Donald Trump can be the president of the free world, anybody can fucking do anything. Absolutely. And what a moron. Absolutely oh. that. Absolutely. Dan, anything that you want to plug before we end? No, not plugging anything. It's lovely to meet you. Lovely to see you. What a pleasure. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much.